0: What's up party people? Welcome to Saga of Steve Rogers. This is episode 263. Christ, it's been a long ride. Hope you're enjoying it. Hope you've been here with me for a lot of it. If you haven't, you could go back and listen to old episodes at sagaofsteverogers.com. And in the menu at the top, click on archive. You can go back and listen all the way back to episode zero. There was an episode before number one. Most people think number one is the first number. Anyway, uh, this is 263. This is uh, the last part with Richard. if you're jumping in now, this is not the jump on point. This is the jump off point. So go back and listen to the previous episodes. This is part six. So we finish up with his story, and then I go through um, some questions that were submitted by listeners and some questions I've had myself. Uh, we I don't know if we mentioned it in this, but we recorded this previous. We did about 40 minutes. Um, we did the previous episode, 262. And then I said, I gotta pee. He has to end at an hour anyway. So he ends. I come back in. He called right away. And I just started talking. And then about 42 minutes in, after we finished the story and then started Q&A, I realized I never hit record. What a fucking amateur. But told him, hey, uh, I totally fucked up and we need to do this whole thing over. So we waited another day. He called me the next day, and this is the final part. So I'm hoping to have um, some of his family on. I'm still kind of running that down. I want to cleanse the palate a little. Um, this has been a long run with Richard, and it's kind of uh, kind of been a, a depressing run. So I'm hoping to uh, cleanse the palate with some funny shit. I'll have uh, some fun. But uh, this is the last part with Richard. Please, please feedback. SagoSteveRogers.com. Steve Uh, Steve at com for your feedback. Anybody you think should be on the show, holler at your boy. Thanks for listening as always. I appreciate you being here. Share the link. Tell a friend. Um, And without further ado, here's the end with Richard. Peace.
1: Thank you for listening to this podcast. My stepdad works really hard on this. If you are easily offended, don't waste your time. If you like to tell a friend, I can't believe I have to tell adults this basic stuff. Um, Richard.
2: this call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording
1: thank you for using gtl uh, well hello again
0: i hit record already
2: <laughs> okay
0: man that was fucked up i was pissed at myself all night
2: Really, it's not that big of a
0: deal. Well, it is to me. I wanted to get stuff done because got, I've got a lot of quarantine shit to do around the house. So, but we're back. <laughs> yeah. I'm, okay. So we uh, were, we recorded about 40 minutes. Well, we talked for 40 minutes, but I didn't hit record. One of the few, I've done that once or twice before, really pissed me off, but. So I figured it out. We just stopped where we were and uh, back recording a second day. So when last we were talking, we were talking about where you are, the next steps. So um, you're in for 40 years. You've already gone through one appeal and you're filing a new appeal coming up. So what's that going to look like? Um, that's
2: I'm filing a new appeal um, based on my new sentence. Um and my arguments are basically that they, the manner in which they found that I was a habitual offender was unconstitutional because it's my opinion that the law requires some type of separation between my prior felonies. The four priors that they're using against me all happened simultaneously and in my opinion that they had to have happened consecutively or sequentially in order to be used as separate transactions for a recidivist offender statute which is probably hard for some of your listeners to understand because of the it's it's legalcy so I don't
0: know how to explain it in like a layman's terms. Well, so the the four offenses these are these are what happened back in 2010, right? And then you were you were um, sentenced to 40 years. Got out in like four because of the way the plea agreement was written. I got, I,
2: no, no, I got out in six years because I got when I when I thought my sentence in, uh the judge resentenced me to a fifteen year sentence. And I got out in six years on good behavior.
0: Okay. I thought this was the two thousand ten was the one where you got sentenced to forty years. I did
2: originally, and I fought that conviction too. Okay. And one of my arguments on that, on when I fought that conviction is that they should have ran concurrent. Um, and I asked for a sentence mod based partly on that. The judge agreed with my sentence mod and agreed to reduce my sentence to 15 years. And so that's what I got.
0: And then you did basically less than half of that?
2: Yeah, I did six years on that. Okay. So basically, back then, the judge ruled that those convictions were single, a single transaction. They were all happened at the same time, so the judge made it a single transaction. This court now, for this crime, because they have to use, they have to have, in order to give me the amount of time they gave me, 40 years on this this current crime, they I had to have three prior convictions, and in reality I only have uh, the one prior conviction for the armed robbery out of Arizona, and then I have the three prior convictions from 2010 out of this state, but the judge had already made them one conviction. So I only have two convictions, so they could only give me 10 years under this number. Instead, what this court did is they separated the last three convictions, the last set of convictions out of South Dakota. They're saying that there are three separate convictions, even though the judge in 2010 said no, it's one conviction. This later court, because the court wanted to give me more time, said, no, we're going to change that, even though I'd already been sentenced and I already completed that number, this court says, you know, we're going to change that and we're going to make them separate transactions now. It's my argument that I had a right to the reason the evidence that they're using to change that doesn't exist. They're just saying, they're just making up stuff saying that they happened that i that i that I sold to two different people at two different times, which never happened. It's not what I pled guilty to. There's no evidence that that ever happened and if they're going to find them type of, them type of facts, it's my argument that I had a right to a jury trial on those type of facts. A judge can't just decide how I committed the crime without any evidence. When a judge is deciding how how I committed a crime and they're going to enhance a sentence. Based on that evidence, that has to be found by a jury, and that's my arguments on appeal. And if I win, um, I get out automatically because I've already done the time. So I'm already over that maximum amount that I'm allowed to that, – that, that state could have given me for the crime I committed unless they find me guilty of being a habitual offender. And I understand a lot of your listeners will say, well, he is a habitual offender. He's committed all these crimes in the past and blah, blah, blah. The statute in South Dakota requires that the prior convictions be within 15 years. The only prior convictions I have that have been within the last 15 years are the one Arizona conviction and the conviction from 2010, which was already ruled on as a single transaction. And that's why I'm arguing that this later court didn't have the authority to change that ruling and make it separate transactions so and then also my second argument is my lawyer at the time at this time on this case tells me that he looked at the prior case and he came up with the same conclusion I did is that, that it's one transaction therefore he told me that I couldn't get no more than 10 years the state offered me a plea agreement for 15 years And I turned it down based on counsel's advice that I couldn't get no more than 15 years. In my letter that I had notarized back at the time that plea agreement was offered me, I said, look, if I'm facing a life sentence, I want to take the plea agreement for 15 years. If I'm not facing a life sentence, if I'm not facing a habitual, I don't want to take the plea. But if I am facing the habitual, I do want to take the plea. Everybody said I wasn't facing the habitual. And then it turns out that Who's who's everybody?
0: Who's everybody?
2: Well, both my lawyers and other lawyers that I talked to.
0: But not the state. So when you're saying you sent this certified letter, who did did you send the certified letter to?
2: To the state and the
0: judge. And the the judge and the state never replied to your letter. They just, they obviously got it because you sent it certified, but they're not going to reply to you.
2: They're not going to reply to me. The, The prosecutor said from the outset that... They think they could give me a license. They said that I'm a habitual offender. So I asked my lawyer, why is the state saying this? The lawyer said they just always do that. Don't worry about that. I've looked at the case. I've looked at your old case. I've looked at your priors. You're not facing the habitual. Don't worry about any of that. And I said, well, I want to make it clear. If I am facing the habitual, if the state's right, I want to take this plea bargain for 15 years. He said, don't worry about it. You're not facing the habitual. I got in front of the judge and I argued with the judge. I said, well, I want to know right now what I'm facing because the state's offering me a plea and I want to know, am I facing the habitual that has a life sentence? The judge says, I'm not ready to rule on that yet. So I didn't have no one telling me anything other than my lawyer telling me I wasn't facing it. The prosecutor saying I am facing it and the judge saying he don't know. And so when you're facing a habitual and they got to look back at that at that prior offense a lawyer should be able to look at that and say this is how much time you're facing if you go to trial this is how much time you're facing uh so you should take this plea or you shouldn't take this plea and when a lawyer gives you advice that is contrary to the law then that's ineffective assistance he that's, you know, but I, I so it's funny in my case is I happen to agree with the lawyer. I believe that the state couldn't do it, and they just did it anyway because they could do it.
1: <laughs>
2: and that's my belief. I think they just completely ignored the law and just did it because they could do it. I mean, it's so obvious to me that my prior conviction was a single transaction. The statute in South Dakota for habitual offenders said there have to be separate transactions, and the state just ignored it.
0: So, you've already filed an appeal once, and the appeal was denied. How is this appeal different than the first appeal that was denied?
2: The first appeal, my lawyer argued it. He argued it in a different way. He just said that there's a single transaction. The Supreme Court ruled back that it was uh, that it was multiple transactions, and they when they ruled back that it was multiple transactions,
1: uh,
2: it's my understanding that they based that decision on the evidence that the judge, the original judge, uh, stated when he found separate transactions. But they also, the Supreme Court also reversed for resentencing and asked... And allowed me to make new sentencing arguments. So when I went back for resentencing, I did a motion to strike the habitual based on everything I'm saying and, uh, asked for new counsel because I needed counsel to testify regarding the advice he gave me. Didn't, they didn't, uh, the judge denied both their motions and sentenced me again to 40 years, which I'm again saying is an illegal sentence. So now I'm going again in front of the direct appeal,
0: and it's to the same court, or is it to a higher court yeah, than it's the to last one? the same line? court. So
2: it's to the same court.
0: So the appeals I'm process. Arguing,
2: I'm making the argument. I'm making the argument differently. Before the the judge, the the lawyer just said it's a single transaction, basically. This is what the statute says, and the court ruled against me. This time I'm going back, and I'm saying because this time I I I, I got. Uh, I'm including evidence of it being a single transaction. I'm including evidence that the crimes are committed sequen- or, uh, simultaneously. So I'm going back to the court and saying your ruling, I'm asking them to reconsider the ruling because uh, I don't feel that separate transactions, I don't feel that, that crimes committed simultaneously for a recidivist statute should be considered as separate transactions. There's separate transactions, like when you're considering double jeopardy and stuff like that, uh, I would agree that separate tra- it, it could be separate transactions, even though they were committed at the same time. But when you're dealing with a recidivist statute, I think the definition of separate transactions is different than when you're dealing with a double jeopardy statute or a double jeopardy issue. If that makes any sense. Like, uh, you could be charged and convicted of two crimes that happened at the same time. Under, I mean, you could just be charged and convicted of them. And you could receive consecutive sentences for them. For instance, if I have a bag of heroin in my pocket and a bag of meth in my pocket, I could be charged for both those bags, bags of dope and convicted on both those bags of dope, because there's two different kinds, even though they happen simultaneously. But my argument is, on the uh, on a habitual offender statute, that those crimes had to have happened at different times, not simultaneously. In other words, those crimes would have had to have happened five minutes apart, or it had to be some kind of temporal separation between the two crimes.
0: All right, so you're appealing to the same court, but with a Correct. different argument.
2: Right, because I'm the first person ever that in South Dakota, I'm the first person they've ever sentenced as a habitual offender and found separate transactions based on simultaneous prior convictions, convictions that were committed simultaneously. Every other habitual offender that was sentenced in South Dakota, their prior crimes happened sequentially. Even though they were five or ten minutes apart, there was still some temporal separation between those prior convictions. I'm the first person... In South Dakota, that's been sentenced as a habitual offender where the crimes happened at the exact same moment.
0: But that doesn't make it wrong. Like every single crime that somebody's been charged with or convicted with, there's always been a first person that was charged in that way. So I see your point of view. Right, I,
2: understand, I understand that. So, but see, there's case law. There's case law in South Dakota that says. The definition of separate transaction is that one crime is completed before the next one begins, and I'm also basing that on that because if you look at the 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 precedent that's been set in South Dakota, that's the precedent that one crime must be completed before the next one begins. That's what they define the separate transactions, and that didn't happen in my case. You can't be, you can't show that the, the state can't show that one crime was committed before the next one begins. So how are they going to find separate
0: transactions when they can't show that separation? So the way the appeal works, you write up your your belief, your opinion, you state your case law, all that stuff. You submit it to the court, and then you wait. You don't ever get in front of judges and plead your case physically. It's just you write your shit up, send it to the court, then the court reviews all the documents that you Reference the original case documents, the state presents their case to the appeal- appellate court, and then they decide on their own. There's never testimony like a regular trial? Correct. Okay. So how long do you think until you'll have an answer?
2: Nine months this is my estimate.
0: And in your, in your estimate, what do you think your chances are of winning? Uh, honest, real deal, Holyfield. No bullshit. Like, what do you think the chances are you're getting out?
2: I think that there is a strong chance that the state, that the Supreme Court remands back to the lower court for one of two reasons.
0: I don't know what that means. What's if remands the, back to the lower court?
2: And they send it back to the court that, just, that just sentenced me. In other words, they vacate my sentence and send it back for resentencing or they send it back for an evidentiary hearing mm-hmm. for more to, to, to present to, to compile more evidence on the record.
0: Okay. So it's and basically the opening because, the case back up, basically opening the case right. back up for them to try to fix whatever they did to prove the reason why they're saying it's separate and you're saying it's individual, but right. Okay.
2: Or then that's, that's what I'm saying. They could either send it back for that reason, or they could send it back for um, my lawyer's testimony that they didn't let me get to see what advice he gave me, because uh, under under a certain case called Laffler versus Cooper, it's a United States Supreme Court case. uh If an attorney gives you advice that leads to you refusing a plea agreement. Then you could ask them to reoffer you, or the what would happen is the Supreme Court would order the prosecutor to reoffer that 15 year deal.
0: What you've already done? How many years? And then
2: you, I've already, I've already, I've already done close to four years on it. So if they give, them, if they offer me the 15 year deal, chances are I'll either be out or I'll have another year to do. <laughs> So by the time I get back and do it all, then I'll be ready to get released anyway.
0: Okay. And if comes back and says, nope, you're staying, what's the next step? Can you appeal to a higher court?
2: Yes, but first I'll do it. It depends on uh, how it goes. If they don't send it back. Then I go to a habeas, and then I present all – the get all that evidence on the record anyway and have my lawyer testify anyway. And then that takes – I mean, I could do that within a month, and who knows how long it will take them to get me back. It could take a month. It could take two months. It could take a year. But I'll have everything done within a month in front of the court. It's just a matter of how long they'll t- – it takes them to schedule the hearing, and they have to pretty much give me the hearing. Okay. so no matter what I'm going to get the lawyer to testify and no matter what he's going to get on there and say what he's going to say he's already indicated that he's he's agreed with me he's going to testify that he gave me that advice and he stands on that advice he thinks the Supreme Court is wrong in their decision
0: okay Well, I I can I can see, you know, I was good in debate in high school, so I can see both sides of the argument. I can see them saying, you know, I I don't know case law. Don't don't need to know case law. I'm just saying I can see both sides of it. I can see what you're saying makes sense, but it's already gone through an appellate an appellate group an appellate review. And they said we agree with what already happened. So, the-
2: well, they didn't. This is complete
0: different argument. Got it. But it's no, still. I mean, my, it's my, still. My, it, go ahead.
2: On my original, on my original, my lawyer didn't say uh, these were committed simultaneously. He, I mean, he said it, but he didn't argue that the statute doesn't allow the court to sentence you two separate transactions when they happen simultaneously he just argued that they're single transactions and he just made a blanket argument sometimes you got to spell it out for him (laughs) right i get that i'm doing here i get that but it's not
0: it's not like a completely different argument it's more detailed of the original argument but that's that's still the same argument it's just more detailed of why it shouldn't be? Why it should be one transaction versus right. four?
2: And I've and I've included and and I've included uh, the United States Supreme Court decisions that support my argument. Okay. Which wasn't done before either. He didn't. So he didn't. He didn't cite any 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 uh any precedent to support his argument of a single transaction. I'm I'm at least I'm I'm presenting case law to
0: that support my argument okay alright well for the last part of the hour I want to do some questions so I had some uh, listeners write in some questions and um, we went over some of these yesterday so you'll remember them from yesterday but they weren't recorded so it's like they were never, never read to you um <laughs> Have you had a real job for any extended period of time? If so, doing what? So you you said when I asked you back in episode one, so this is episode six of our series together, six hours. Um, Back in part one, I said, when you were a kid, what did you want to do? And you said, all I ever wanted to do was be a drug dealer and be a better drug dealer. So have you ever had a job for an extended period of time and doing what?
2: I ended up working as a uh uh when I was in prison, I ended up going getting work release where I'd go on the streets and work and I started working as a dishwasher at Minerva's Bar and Grill and I did that for a year. Got out of prison, I kept the same job after I got out of prison and I went out and got another job uh cutting down trees and I did that cutting down trees full time. And then reduced my full-time work at Minerva's, which I was a cook now. I reduced that full-time to uh uh part-time. So after I got done cutting down trees, I'd go shower up and then go to work as a cook at Minerva's. Um, and then on days where I didn't work, which is <laughs> hardly ever, I went and did community service, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working. I enjoyed my relationships with my bosses. I enjoyed my relationships with my coworkers. Um, I, I had fun. I looked forward to going to work every day. I was early every day, never missed a single day. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it, and it was the first time I I uh, was enjoying life, basically. I, mean, I, just, I enjoyed it.
0: It seems weird to there's me that, that that you would be in prison on work release but they let you work in a bar. I mean, I know that you were washing dishes not drinking beer and smoking and whatever, but it just that seems like I would be putting you in temptation to do something well, yeah. that you're so not supposed to. No, I get that, but it there's just there's seems like of, there's, there's, there's there's different temptation if you're out cutting trees than working as a dishwasher in a bar like it seems What's funny like that what... I
2: couldn't have got the job I couldn't have got the job uh, cutting trees
0: <laughs> Say that again?
2: But I was able to get the job I couldn't have worked cutting down trees cuz he's a private private the guy I worked for is a private contractor and it was under the table wow. So I couldn't have worked that way for cutting down trees when I was in prison but I could work for the Mar- Minerva's Bar and Grill because it's a company and they
0: take out taxes and all that stuff. So. All right. What's your education? Did you finish high school? I know you said that you have a paralegal degree. So when we started back uh, uh, on episode one, you were talking about at 16, I think you were on the, uh, in the, uh, juvenile wagon train thing. So obviously you didn't complete I, uh, high school on the outside.
2: I got a GED in prison, and I went to – when I got out of prison, I started going to college, taking criminal justice courses, went back to prison. I continued my criminal justice courses in prison and uh, worked toward an associate's degree in paralegal studies. I earned an associate's degree in paralegal studies with a 4.0 GPA. I got all straight A's, a single B. And, uh, continued on with my education and got a diploma in, uh, legal investigations. And I am now nine credits shy of my bachelor's in paralegal studies.
0: So obviously, if you do get out, you would probably pursue something in the paralegal realm.
2: Correct. Well, I mean, for, when I first get out, I'd probably get a job. I mean, it depends on how old I am when I get out. If I get out, if I win this stuff and get out in the next year or two, I would go uh, into labor and do something like cutting down trees again or something like that that I could get a job quick at, and in the my time off, I would uh, hunt for a paralegal job. And once I got the paralegal job, I would do that.
0: Okay, so...
2: And if if I got out as an old man, I would go shoot for the paralegal job because I could do that at 60 years old or 58 or 59 or whatever. I could do that at an older age.
0: So let's go worst-case scenario. You're, You're sentenced for 40 years. If you don't win this appeal and you're kept in... What's the minimum amount of time you're going to do? Uh,
2: minimum amount of time I would be getting out. If I went earn all my good time and I do completely what I'm supposed to do, I would get out in 2028.
0: So eight years from now, that'll make you 60, what, 62?
2: It'll make me 60? 60.
0: 60. Okay. Yeah. So, this question might be a little harsh, but looking back at your life, I mean, it, it's it's you've you've done a lot of things people wouldn't do. You've had a wild life, storied life, like it, it's the stuff of of movies and and books and shit like that. But it, it's been a lot of fun. You've done a lot of things but it's also been a lot of negative on you and your family and you know your the fact you have 5 kids two of them you've never even seen or you you haven't had a relationship with don't really know would you change what, what at what point do you think you would have changed your life like what point would have
2: i changed my life yeah
0: at what point so you, you would have like there's a bunch of different yeah there's a bunch of different forks in the road throughout this this saga that we've been on together which of those do you think was if you had it to do over you would be like fuck i'm going right i'm not going left anymore like this is the one and this is the reason why this one is the one that should have changed my life
2: if i had the knowledge that i have now i would have From a younger age, I would have got a better work ethic, and I would have found some some work I enjoyed, and I would have worked, and I would have just done that, and I would have I would have just worked. And when I wouldn't have got into dealing drugs. When I wouldn't have got into any of the bullshit that I got into. Um, I think, to be honest with myself and your listeners, I think that. I was scared to try something new. I was scared to work. I was scared of the unknown. I was comfortable with selling drugs. I understood it. I knew, I mean, I just knew how to do it. And going to work and having to do something new and maybe not be good at it and not maybe be, Made fun of for my performance or whatever.
1: I, I, I just,
2: and I'm, and the reason I'm saying this is because I'm learning from my kids. <laughs> like my daughter, she, she's learning to work and she's finally found a job that she really loves and, and, and I'm happy for her and I, I'm proud of her. But before that, she's tried several jobs and she ended up quitting because she felt uncomfortable working she felt that she wasn't good enough or or um she wasn't good at it and she was insecure and i think that was my problem i think that was exactly my problem i think that uh i was scared to even try
0: but there's also like people that live the the outlaw lifestyle people that make money by doing nefarious shit and and it, it's it, this is just again me being a layman not being in that world it, it seems like everybody I've ever heard interviewed that led that outlaw lifestyle drug dealer gangbanger killer for hire whatever that kind of horse shit is that they look at people that have regular jobs like look at all the work they have to do for that little amount of money like Little reward, lots of work. You didn't have to work really hard. I mean, you put your life on the line. I'm not trying to minimize the shit that you went through, but it was fun. Like you're hanging out with hot chicks and guns and drugs and money and cash and fast cars and going to Mexico and beating the law and beating the, you know, you get arrested, but you beat the rap. And like, it's fun.
2: I have a different view because... Um, I know that at one point in time in my life, I looked up to people like Al Capone and these gangsters you hear about and these gangsters in the movies. And you're like, yeah, I want that life. So I want to be like that. That dude's cool. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but over the years I've, I I, I see something different. I've, I've realized something different. I look at, uh, some of these shows on TV, like let's say cops, for instance, you look at cops and you see these guys getting arrested and they're like fucking little bitches, to be honest. I mean, you see these guys getting arrested and they want to be big and tough and and, and and badasses when they're robbing people or when they're fucking selling drugs and, and, and being tough guys and this and that. But then the cops, chase them and they act like a bunch of little girls and fucking, oh no, oh no. And we'll sort of start crying and shit when the cops arrest them and all this other fucking stupid shit. They just look like little bitches. And that's the majority of criminals. And when like my eyes got open to that. And I, I, I seen that and it started, you know, I, it just resonated on me bad. And I don't like that. I don't like the the look. I don't like to be viewed that way, and uh, yeah, that's not who I want
0: to be, but that's in retrospect. Like at the time, you never that's felt that, that's yeah, 100%. Re- right,
2: I never saw that,
0: yeah. That's rear view mirror speak. Like you're looking back at it, going, Man, right, you know, it's easy to to rethink it looking back, but at the right. time, you were living the fucking dream, like nobody could at have told time, you. I was-
2: well, there was times I I remember sitting in a car with uh with one of my baby's moms and we're sitting there and I, I tell her, uh, I wanna quit. I just wanna I wanna give up this life. And this is when I'm moving dope from from Mexico, me and her. And I'm like, I wanna give up this life and stuff like that. And we're just sitting in the car. We we go out we went out to the car to specifically have a talk and have a serious deep talk and that's when I told her, I wanna quit. And uh She's like, no, <laughs> that's, that's not, this is, we're making too good of money and blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to quit. You know, if you quit, I'm going on without you. And, uh, I was like, well, fuck it. We'll do it then. Let's, let's do it. And, uh, we continued. And then at one time after that, she came to me and said, well, you know what? I want to quit now. I'm like, fuck that. You didn't want to quit before. We ain't quitting now. You know what I mean? It's just,
1: <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's,
2: I don't know. So even at the time, even when you're in the in the mix, you know. I and mean, there was another time that I was sitting uh, with some friends of mine, and we were at a bonfire, we were drinking and shit, and I knew I was gonna get busted. I was like, I was like, I had a kind of the conversation. I remember, remember it distinctly. I said, I know I'm gonna get busted. I know they're after me, and I know they're gonna catch me. I can't quit. I don't have you. I'm. I, it's. I don't.
0: I can't quit. But you didn't want to, also. Like, right? I didn't want to. Because honestly, exactly. I mean, you've the the criminal justice system hasn't penalized you like you've you've been able to wiggle your way out of a lot of shit. Like, you've done time. I'm not. I'm not trying to minimize the time that you've done, yeah, but. 30 years. <laughs> I, I totally get that. That was one of the questions I'm coming up with. I want to do a, a a tabulation of the amount of time you've spent in versus out in your entire life. But you've done 30 years. But all the shit that you've done that you didn't get caught with or you got you you were able to to wiggle your way out of through a plea agreement or this thing fell through or they didn't type this, you know, they put the wrong number on the document and the 40 years, the first time didn't stick and like all that stuff. If none of that wiggling had happened and you had spent the amount of time from the first conviction that, that you were sentenced for your life may have changed earlier. Like, no, you don't I think don't so. Nope.
2: Cause prison changes you.
0: That's what I'm saying is you didn't you were in prison, got out and went back to the lifestyle multiple times.
2: Right. Uh, prison, yeah, prison changes you. It it took it took it for me it took growing up. It took it took um me swallowing swallowing my pride and me coming to the realization that I don't want nothing to do with this life. I don't want nothing to do with the people or this life. It took me coming to the, you know, not wanting to be involved in gangs, not wanting to be involved in people that are involved in gangs, just not wanting anything to do with anything other than just my family is all I care about. And I should have come to that conclusion a long time ago, but I didn't.
0: All right, next couple questions. They're they may be worded a little harsh, so I'm going to read them and try to minimize the harshness read them as they are. So, just um, read them the way they are. He makes it sound like he's a victim with the cops in the courts lying just to put him away. Is this how he sees himself? A victim of the police looking to pin something on him that he's not guilty of?
2: Absolutely not. I don't see myself as a victim. I, seem, uh, I, I did what I did, and I should be punished for committing a crime. Uh, I don't Have any problems with my prior convictions and the amount of time I did. They were justified in, in putting me in prison. They were justified for giving me the amount of time they did. I don't, I don't think that they're not. This particular crime, I feel that they um yeah. acted I, I believe the courts acted inhumanely i believe the courts acted uh unfairly and the reason i say that is because similar uh inmates in my in the same position with the same amount of prior felonies etc uh have never received such a harsh sentence. For example, 35, there's been 35 since the beginning of, of, of the statue that I play guilty under, the, 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 when me doing the line, which is the possession statue, with the, with the, at the beginning of that statue with the class five felony, there's been 35 habitual offenders sentenced under that statue with the same amount of felonies that I have or more. Out of them, 35 offenders that were sentenced as habitual offenders, one of them, well, maybe I think one of them, one of them received a five-year sentence. The rest received less than five years. If you add all 35 of them up consecutively, the total amount of time they all 35 offenders served was 39 years. I got sentenced to 40 years. So they treated me more harshly than every offender that's ever been sentenced under that habitual statute since the beginning of the statute.
0: I get what you're saying, but same thing I said before. Like somebody had to be the first person charged with a crime in a specific way. Somebody has to be the highest number, but you're not – it's not okay. like – but it's so, not like I mean, you're, you're, you're triple or quadruple anybody else who's been charged with the habitual statute. You're – how many yeah, years?
2: Yeah, I am. I'm 800% higher sentence.
0: I thought you just said 30 uh, – somebody was charged 39 years and you were charged 40. No.
2: If you add all 35 offenders up, they equal 39 years.
0: Oh, okay. I, mis- I mishood you. The you anyone –
2: The maximum anyone's ever gotten was five years. And only one person got five years. All the rest got less than five years. I gave you uh I gave you those documents if you went to page I believe it's page ten or twelve and or it's paragraph ten, page twelve. If you look under
1: twenty
2: two seven 8.1 8.1 there's a that's a stat, the stat stat you're i of sentence under you'll see a, a list of the amount of time people got you'll see like 0, 2, 3 7, or 0, 2, 3, 4 2, 4, 0, 0, 0, 0 5 blah 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 there's 35 sentences there if you add all the amount of time they all got up that's 39 years and there's 35 convictions and 35 sentences. I got 40.
0: So, let me ask you a question. I don't understand why when you uh, some of your some of your charges were bringing drugs from other countries into the US into Arizona, right? Wasn't that one of the times you were arrested?
2: Yeah, I was arrested for that. Right. I was never convicted, but I was arrested
0: for that. That would be a state charge and not a federal charge, bringing drugs from another that country into... That was a federal into... charge. Okay.
2: That was a federal charge.
0: Because it seems like at some point they would just stop fucking around state charges, and if, if it's drugs across state lines or drugs coming into the country, they would just charge you federally and... and...
2: Correct. Yeah. They Yeah, they just... I was charged and that was
0: dismissed. Okay. Um, Do you you see yourself as being smarter than the court? (laughs) No.
2: I've came to the realization that I am nobody. The court is all powerful. They could do whatever the hell they want to do, whether it's legal or not legal. If they want to take me out back and shoot me, they could do it. And there's nothing I can do about it. I have no delusions that they can't do whatever the hell they want to do. And I just got to swallow it. All I'm doing is making my arguments. All I'm doing is is putting forth what I believe is right or wrong. They make the ultimate decision. And what they say, I can't. It's not I mean, who am I? You know what I mean?
0: Okay. How many years have you done all together, so counting the two years in that juvenile truck wagon thing how many so you're how old and then how many years between, have you done ju,
2: between juvenile between juvenile and everything I, I I've done between thirty and 35 years I guess with with county jail time and just all the time the juvenile time everything between thirty and thirty five years
0: and you're fifty. Two. Yep. What is that? I mean, does that number? What does that number make you feel like? Like, tell me what that ma- that number brings to mind. Because it, it my my initial feeling was just like that's fucking sad, man. That's a lot of time where you didn't get to choose anything make- that you do.
2: It makes me sick when I think about it. Um, I usually, when I'm thinking like that, when it when it crosses my mind, when I'm laying here and stuff like that crosses my mind, I push it out. I don't try to dwell on it. I don't try to think about it. I push it out and think of something different. Those are kind of things that I just don't think about. I don't like thinking about them. I just, so I just block it out. I just push it out.
0: I mean, at this point, you can't change it. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I can't do nothing about it.
0: What you can do is... If you if and when you do get out, make choices that don't that that reflect better on you. Correct. So this that we've been talking a lot about the toll that all this has on you. And we've talked a little bit about your daughter, one of your daughters. But what is the the thirty years, thirty plus years that you've had in prison? What do you think that toll has been on your family? In, in I mean, going, not individually, because I don't need you to break it down like I did this to my mom, this to my dad, but what do you think that toll has had on your family, emotionally, physically, financially, et cetera?
2: It's, I think that if I'm being honest, please, I think that it's taking a, a tremendous toll on him, but at the same time, I believe that, Every family goes through hardships uh things that happen shit happens if it's not me in prison it's uh uh someone has a kid that w- w- with a disability or uh someone's child goes over to uh war and and, and comes back with no legs or uh, they have multiple uh, different issues that come with, happen during a lifetime. You know what I mean? That have created problems. Maybe someone has an alcoholic problem, but's never been to prison, and they are an alcoholic. Or, I mean, there's so many things in this world that create hardships on families. Um, I think I, I try to look at the the positive aspect of it. You know, because it's. It, it, it's, I don't think it's good for me or anybody if you look at the, if you always look at the negative aspect of it. So I try to look at what I, what, what have I gotten out of it? What do I think my family has gotten out of it? And I believe that me and my father, uh, me and my family, my, my, my stepmother, everybody, me and my, my family have gotten closer than most people have gotten with their family members that have never been to prison and have look lived a good life. Um, I think my situations and, and I just, I just, I think it has brought us closer than, than most families are. Uh, and it not closer as far as being able to be right there with them and, and hold their hand or, or hug them when I need to hug them or hug them when they need a hug or, or stuff like that. But, as far as our, our love for each other and, um, our commitment to each other and the way we feel about each other, I think is, is deeper than most people in society have. Because when you're out, I, then this, and I could be wrong. I'm doing it from my point of view, but most, a lot of people in society are too busy and too, uh, involved in their own life to reach out to their mother and father and have the type of relationship that I have with my mother and father. And so for in in that aspect of things, I think we've been blessed. But with that blessing has came a lot of like you said it's came a, a lot of hardship and a lot of letdowns. Um I think that they are proud of me just like they would be proud of uh like another mother or father be proud of, of their son that's never been to prison I think there's things that I've done that have made both my family members proud and or not both, my all my family members proud and I think there's things that I've done that have that have disappointed them um, I think there's a lot of things I've done that have disappointed them I think they've cried and went to sleep at night crying um but I also think that they've smiled and and, and, and and rejoiced in certain aspects of my life and they I think they they have smiled and, and, and been happy about uh different things that I've done.
1: Um,
2: so I don't know, I think it's all just life if you if if I'm being honest, I think it's life and I think uh I think the ways I'm blessed and the ways I'm cursed.
0: That's uh That was pretty deep, man. That was pretty deep. Um All right, so last question. Why did you want to do this podcast? Is it just because it's entertaining, you get to tell your story and and laugh about it and relive some of this stuff or is it just to pass the time because, you know, time is Time is running slow, obviously. You're you're stuck inside, so
2: Well actually, um I I guess a couple reasons. Uh, one, uh I'm bored, I'm lonely. Uh, I, I I mean I uh, I would love to maybe reach somebody that would that would want to befriend me and say, Hey, you know, I wouldn't mind getting to know that person. Uh, another another thing is I wanted to bring attention to my case uh I just think disparity in sentencing is in the United States, not just here not just me, but this disparity in sentencing in the United States is wrong where they sentence one person to one year that has the same background and circumstances and then they turn around and sentence another the same another person with the same set of circumstances to life um i think that there should be there's a lot of states that don't have guidelines set where a judge is required to sentence a person under certain circumstances similar to the another person under the same circumstances like arizona has guidelines uh federal government has guidelines so a lot of people are sentenced uh similarly even if it's within like a 5 year uh, uh a 5 year or 10 year um Bracket. South Dakota doesn't have that. One person could get, uh, for for instance, me, I could get forty years for a crime that nobody in the history of South Dakota's got. But five, the most they've ever got is five years. Most states have came to the conclusion and came to the realization that that that's wrong, and they've set brackets that 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 real judges in. So it's not depending on the pick of a judge how much time you're gonna get. It shouldn't be like, okay, I want this judge because this judge is not gonna give me a license, but if I go to this judge over here, I'm only gonna get one year. You know what I mean? It just it just it shouldn't be determined on the pick of a judge or how the judge is feeling one day or how the judge uh perceives a, a certain inmate the way he dresses or his hair or because he has tattoos. Or, or, or whatever the, the, the situation may be. because judges are human. You're not supposed to be human, but they are. <laughs> and, and, if a judge doesn't like you in South Dakota, he's gonna nail you. And there's a lot of prejudices in the world, whether it's color, whether it's, uh, hairstyle, whether it's jealousy, you know, who knows, human, they just prejudices. And people in South Dakota specifically are getting judged on those prejudices, whether it's a, a native being uh, sentenced more harshly than a white guy or a black guy getting sentenced more harshly than a white guy or an out of stater getting more sentenced, getting sentenced more, more, more harshly than an in stater. Um, it just, it happens all the time and there should be some guidelines set. So there's no disparity in sentencing especially the kind of disparity that's happened in my case. And so I wanted to bring some attention to that and and ask for some help. I mean, ask – I don't know what kind of help, other – you know, maybe emotional support or, or anything or even, maybe, you know, maybe there's a lawyer listening to this that, that, that wouldn't mind looking into my case or who knows. I Just bring attention to it, you know.
0: Well, I, I mean – it's uh it's been interesting. It hasn't been uh boring in the least. There's uh a lot a lot of stuff to digest. I hope everybody has been enjoying listening to this. Um in the show notes from these last two episodes, I'm going to put a link. There's a program that allows you if you'd like to send texts to Richard, you want to communicate with him directly. I'll put as much description in there as I can to explain how to do it. Um, Reach out and talk to him. If you have questions, you want to follow up on something I said, you're like, I want to call bullshit on something he said, and I think it's this, he's open to talk about it. So um, I I appreciate you doing this, Richard. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you. Is there anything you want to say like in parting, to people that are listening?
2: No, just, just, uh, you know, my story and, and, uh, I tried to be as honest as, as, as possible that I can be. And just some hard questions and, and a lot of saying, a lot of the things I said was, was difficult, but, uh, I just wanted to be honest and, and if my story is able to help somebody, then,
0: you know, that's good too.
2: And, uh, Stay away from that damn coronavirus,
0: <laughs> <laughs> everybody social distancing when you can people
2: yeah. and I also uh before you, when you turn this off, I wanted to have a few words with you. all
0: right, everybody, go away. Richard wants to talk to me, and it's none of your business. Bye. <laughs>
3: To Johnny Cash and look at the life he had I'm just a drunk and a loser My mama says that I'm no good That I'll never have a decent job Or live in a nice neighborhood I don't care what people say About me behind my back Cause me and the man got it all figured out Me and the man in black Like I cash. got cash It's true that I live in a trailer and I drink beer all day long But I'm an artist and writer A poet, a singer of songs Make a joyful noise unto the Lord That's what the good book states But it's hard for me to be joyful when all I hear about are my mistakes Well I don't care what people Say about me behind my back. Cause me and the man got it all figured out. Me and the man in black. Well, I got cash. Well, I got cash. Well, I got. That I'll ever make it to join them in the hall of fame, but I swear I'll never quit trying. The beast in me cannot be tamed. They say I'll die a poor man, a recluse with nothing to eat. But I've got my cash, she got my spirit, and that's all this hell needs. But I don't care what people say about me behind my back. Me and the man got it all figured out Me and the man in black Well, I got cash Well, I got cash